everyone! Welcome to the latest episode of Bible Stories for Snarky People! I'm Sarah! And I'm Josh. And I think that this episode will finally be a little shorter than the previous one. That's a relief. The last episode was great, if I do say so myself, Yes, but it was our longest one yet. Uh, that said, I, I think there's some business we need to take care of before we pick up with the next part of the Joseph saga. Business? What kind of business? Will it be something boring? No. It has to do with confession and reconciliation. Those are very churchy words. Well, not just churchy, of course. Uh, When people do something wrong, it's good to confess it and promise to do better in the future. Reconciliation is the process of patching up a relationship that's been damaged by the wrong. This sounds drastic. What's the deal? Well, there's something that's been weighing on my conscience. You know, the first eight episodes of this show existed months before we turned them into a podcast. We were just passing them around among a few people. I guess they were on SoundCloud, but we were just sending people direct links to listen if they were interested. So early on, we didn't do a very careful job with intellectual property. Uh Uh-oh. Are we in trouble? Nobody's called us on it, but I didn't improve our practices when we put up the podcast. We're not making any money off this podcast. It's strictly for educational purposes. Um, I will add in here that we did get $30 from the Building Faith website, which immediately went to your college fund after they interviewed us. But it's not good practice to use someone else's stuff without crediting them properly. So, Sarah, will you hear my confession You're the priest, not me. True, but you are a very good listener. Fair enough. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Bless me, daughter, for I have sneezed. Very funny. Okay, now here's the confession for real. I confess to Almighty God, to the church, and to you, that I have sinned by my own fault, in thought, word, and deed, in things done and left undone. Especially, I have left undone the crediting of at least the following content creators over the course of our first 35 episodes. Outcast, for a snippet of the song AT Aliens. Led Zeppelin, for a snippet of Stairway to Heaven. Surface, for a snippet of The First Time. Mariah Carey, for a snippet of All I Want for Christmas is You. Monty Python, for two snippets from the film Monty Python on the Holy Grail. The soundtrack of The Music Man, for a snippet of 76 trombones. The video game Yu-Gi-Oh! for the point-scored sound effect. George Lucas, for the sound of a very distraught Darth Vader. The video game Minecraft, for a number of sound effects. Kevin MacLeod, for the music bed Jaunty Gumption. Ashot Danielyan, for the music bed Mysterious and Mystic from Pixabay, Ben Sound for the music bed Ophelia's Dream, and the one called Sunny, which we are hearing right this moment, and all sorts of sound effects taken from YouTube videos, most of which are covered by a Creative Commons license. For these and all other sins which I cannot now remember, and for sound effects whose sources I can no longer identify, I am truly sorry. I pray God to have mercy on me. I firmly intend amendment of life, and I humbly beg forgiveness of God and the Church, and ask you for counsel and direction, if not absolution, since you're not an ordained priest. However, the arrangement of Old Little Town of Bethlehem was all mine, as is the arrangement of Now the Green Blade Riseth, which we use every week as our show's theme. Oh, and our parody of Mary Did You Know? Totally covered because parody is fair use. Wow, that's a lot to confess. 
I don't think we're really in deep trouble, but what if somebody calls us on it and says this confession doesn't adequately make amends? Then I'd be willing to remix and repost any past episode to eliminate the offending sound. That sounds good. But again, we don't have all that many listeners. No. (laughs) At least not yet. Now... How does this work? Do I say, the Lord has put away your sins? Well, in the Episcopal Church of which we are a part, only a priest can say that. How about saying instead, I just bet that the Lord has put away all your sins. Okay. I just bet that the Lord has put away all your sins. Phew. I feel better having come clean. And now I promise amendment of podcast from here on out. We'll properly credit all sound effects and music snippets at the end of every episode. Deal? Deal. Go in peace and pray for me, a sinner just like you. The Book of Genesis, Chapter 39 Now Joseph was taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. So I guess it was the Ishmaelites, not the Midianites. There was some confusion about which tribe it was before. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master. Uh, yeah, he's enslaved. Where else would he be? His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hands. I find this interesting, considering that Egypt had their own pantheon of gods. How would Potiphar perceive this? I wonder if Potiphar figured that Joseph, being devoted to his own purportedly Hebrew god, was pretty clearly in that deity's favor. Remember that in the ancient world, people thought that gods were local and tribal and didn't necessarily have power outside their own jurisdiction. But Joseph is demonstrating that he is still able to benefit from his own God's blessings, even in a foreign land, simply because he is of that God's people. Yes, and that would be truly remarkable to Potiphar, for whom that would be a new idea. Even if he doesn't grasp the scale of Joseph's God, maybe he's starting to see that Joseph is no run-of-the-mill Canaanite. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. He made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And with him there, he had no concern for anything but the food that he ate. All of it. Do you need me to say it again? All that he had. Now Joseph was handsome and good-looking. As opposed to ugly and good-looking. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. Hey, that's cheating. It's both lying and cheating. It's cheating while lying. Down. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, with me here, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my hand. Guess we had to mention it one more time. He is not greater in this house than I am. Wait, wait. You're his slave. Does saying that count as insubordination? Nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself because you are his wife. Well, hey, maybe in this case, the woman 
isn't merely a possession of the man. How then could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not consent to lie beside her or to be with her. Good for him. Give it up, unnamed lady. One day, however, when he went into the house to do his work, and while no one else was in the house, oh no, she caught hold of his garment, saying, Lie with me! <gasps> no, no, this is very much not okay! But he left his garment in her hand, and fled and ran outside. Whew, good! But also, that means he's probably naked, and that's a very funny image. Yeah, it's funny to us, but I don't think Joseph wants to be caught naked outside when his master's wife emerges through the door. Ew, good point. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she called out to the members of her household and said to them, See, my husband has brought among us a Hebrew to insult us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And when he heard me raise my voice and cry out, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. He wouldn't let her lie down, so she just started lying. Then she kept his garment by her until his master came home, and she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to insult me, but as soon as I raised my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. If that was actually the case, wouldn't somebody have heard her yell? Shouldn't someone be able to testify that they did not hear her shout? Ooh, let's be careful here. That very same argument has been used down the ages against countless women who were victims of sexual assault by men. Well, why didn't she cry out? I didn't hear her. She must have wanted it. Well, that's awful for people to do, to blame the victim like that. But... In this case, it's the woman herself saying she did cry out. Nobody is saying she should have cried out and didn't. And of course, the obvious difference here from what we'd expect is that the power dynamics are not about gender. They're about social standing. A slave has no way to stand up for himself. There won't be a court of law for this situation. Compared to now, when it's typically the man who has more power and is more likely to be believed. Yeah, this is a very tricky passage to try to make relevant in our present times. We need to let it be complicated and not use it as an excuse to stereotype women as temptresses. But sometimes men do get assaulted by women, especially when there are other factors at play that have to do with power. Like a teacher and a student, or boss and employee. Right. The important thing is that sex should be mutual, with no hint of manipulation. And in some relationships, the power dynamics are just too out of whack for that to be possible. In the case of this story, Potiphar's wife has all the power over Joseph and is proving that she doesn't care about him at all by using it. When his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, saying, This is the way your servant treated me, he became enraged. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. I'm not sure what else he'd use a prison for. He remained there in prison. If he could just walk out, the prison would be kind of pointless. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. Ooh, ooh, can I interrupt for a moment to teach a Hebrew word? No. 
I'm just kidding. I like linguistics. <laughs> yes, I know. Okay, the word here translated as steadfast love is chesed, uh, sometimes pronounced chesed. This word shows up again and again and again throughout the Hebrew Bible to talk about God's stance toward human beings, steadfast love. Huh. What about the Greek words for love? Isn't there a Greek word that parallels sort of a creator's love? I like it when you invite me into the weeds to play. I just looked up the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible called the Septuagint. This is the version that existed at the time of Jesus. But the word there isn't a Greek word for love. It's a Greek word for mercy, eleos. Interesting. But I think you might be thinking of the Greek word agape. That does sound right. So the Greek translation went with a totally different meaning than our English one? I doubt it's totally different. I'm not a foreign language expert, but I think we can take this to mean that the Hebrew chesed, steadfast love, also carries connotations of mercy. There's no such thing as a direct one-to-one translation, is there? No, there is not, simply because of how languages work. I'm reminded of a time when a 13-year-old girl asked me, why are there so many English translations of the Bible? Why don't they just translate it once the right way? Now, as someone who has been studying Mandarin for four years, what do you say to that? Smart Alec. Someday she will study a different language. Then she'll understand. God gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's care all the prisoners who were in the prison. And whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The chief jailer paid no heed to anything that was in Joseph's care because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. I feel like that would get a jailer fired. If you play favorites like that, somebody's going to take advantage of you. Sounds like Joseph is quite the charmer. Like his dad. But maybe less of a trickster? He hasn't really gotten the chance to do anything in his story yet. Then let's keep going. The Book of Genesis, Chapter 40 Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker offended their lord, the king of Egypt. What did they do? I mean, the baker could have made some terrible coffee cake, but the cupbearer? And also, how is cupbearer even a full-time job? Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. Oh, he's the chief cupbearer. So you have multiple of them? And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. Wait, the prison is in the captain's house? The captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he waited on them, and they continued for some time in custody. One night, they both dreamed... Everybody dreams every night, even if they don't remember their dreams. The cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own meaning. I'd be concerned if they were having shared dreams. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? Because they're in prison. They said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. 
That always bums me out when I wake up from a dream and there's no one around to interpret it for me. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. That kind of sounds like he's saying that he is God. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms came out, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Work dreams! Fun! Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. No offense, Joseph, but that interpretation is kind of obvious. I'm not sure what else it could possibly mean. But remember me when it is well with you. Please do me the kindness to make mention of me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this place. For in fact, I was stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should have put me into the dungeon. I did such a good job interpreting your dream that was so cryptic and hard to understand, so you should do me a favor and spring me from this place. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head. That's got to be hard to balance. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a pole, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. Now there's an interpretation I would not have guessed. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, Happy birthday to you! We don't have to credit that song. It's in the public domain now. He made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his cupbearing. Like you do. And he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But the chief baker he hanged just as Joseph had interpreted to them. I have to say, the raised up his head bit of wordplay works surprisingly well across languages. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Oh, that's sad. How did you forget someone who correctly predicts such a gruesome fate for your co-worker? Uh, don't worry, Joseph will get the recognition he deserves. But how? He's in prison with no hope of release. They say it's darkest right before the dawn. I like the dark. Mm, I do too, but that's not the point. The point is that the Holy Spirit works in secret, and then things begin to happen that you couldn't even imagine before. I'm guessing those things happen in the next chapter? Hmm, maybe... I guess I'll have to wait until the next episode of Bible Stories for Snarky People to find out. And so will you listeners, so see you next time. Bye!
Bible Stories for Snarky People, Season 2, Episode 19, featured the following audio clips. Kyrie Fons Bonitatis by the Benedictine monks of Santo Domingo de Silos. Murder of Crows, copyright 2008 by Ultimate Horror Sounds. The following sounds are covered by a Creative Commons license. Crowd ooze and awes and excitement from freesound.org. Shocked gasp from freesound.org. And party blowers from picture to sound. The yay composite sound effect was created with help from Emily Doan, Eli Fight, and Emma Lacey way back in 2014. All other sound effects came from YouTube and are not under copyright. When his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, saying, this is the way your servant treated me. All right, Spark, knock it off. (laughs) Are you quite finished? (laughs) We'll have to wait a second. Shh. Shh. Should I try again?